transformation, a complete understanding your restoration, understanding what Jesus has done for you. The restoration comes with your inheritance. The transformation is your destiny, becoming who you are called and created to be. And they are separate things. Transformation moves you forward out of darkness and into light. Transformation takes you not just in, say it with me, it's not just about a new life. It's a new lifestyle. Christianity is a lifestyle, Christian. It's a lifestyle. It's not something we do. It's not, something we, we do. It's, it's not just something we do, but it's who we are. Right? We don't just show up. We live this life. We're to live this kingdom. In him we live, move, and have our being. Jesus is to be the essence of every part of our life. We're called to integrate our lives into every part of him. Integrate our, our, our money, integrate our time, integrate our families, integrate our thinking. Every part of our life is to be integrated with Jesus. He calls us out of darkness into, a lot, into light, out of an old life into a new life, but into a new lifestyle. He restores us because his desire is to transform you. Right? Transform you. 50% of all people's problems or 50% of all people's current circumstances, say it with me, are a direct result of their choices. Half your problems could be solved if you would just learn to choose differently. I'm not saying all of them, but half of them. I'd meet people all the time and they're behind the eight ball. They're always back. They're always struggling. And they keep choosing the same thing. They keep making choices that are negative and contrary, not just to God, but to themselves. If you were to learn to choose differently, you would, you would probably solve about 50% of the problems in your life simply by choosing differently. You Say it with me. I am what I choose. True. True. Things that are going to influence your life more than anything else is the output, the choices that you make, the input, the things that you're taking into you, and the influences that you put yourself around, the people that you associate with and connect with, that you give and exchange yourself with, the things that you put into yourself and the choices that you will make. That will affect the next five years of your life without a doubt. If you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. I was listening to this guy, and it's an old... Uh, old motivational speaker. I think this is from like the 90s. So uh, blew the dust off this. And I was listening to this guy and he was talking about how um, he became, let's just say, he said he became a millionaire. Now he's not saying he's a millionaire liquid. I don't, he didn't say exactly how he became a millionaire, but he became a millionaire in, in six years. And he said, there's three secrets to becoming a millionaire. And, and he says, I'm going to share those three secrets with you. And I'm going to share them with you too. Would you like me to share those three secrets with you? No? Okay, it's all right. Well, then come back next week, and I'll share those secrets with you. No, just kidding. He said, number one, so the secret to my success, he says, number one, I live in America. Yeah. He says, America is easy. Poland is hard. Iraq is hard. Cuba is hard. Jamaica is hard. The United States is easy. He said, the second thing I did is he said, I found an opportunity, and I took it. And when that opportunity didn't work out, I found another opportunity and I took that. And I kept working my opportunities until I found the opportunity that worked. And then he says, the third thing I did is I found a mentor. I found someone who was smarter than me that could coach me, teach me, and train me into the things that I was deficient in. He says he met a man and this man told him, he was 26 years old. He was saying how it, everything began to change when he was 26. He said, the man basically, you know, I won't, he used profanity. I won't use it. 
Yeah, I've been known to use profanity, but not in this, not in this circumstance. Um, pray for me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> another story. Pray for this pastor. Uh, anyway, the, uh, but he said that he, this man told him, and he said, you've screwed your life up. He said, you're 26 years old. He said, you spent the last seven years of your life screwing your life up. He said, if you want things to be different, you have to radically change every single thing you've been doing for the last seven years or not. And he began to change, and he began to listen, and he began to do, and he began to take what this person was telling him, and he began to shift his life. And no matter what it cost him, he began to change his life and follow the path that this mentor was laying down for him. And when he did, life changed. When he did, things, circumstances changed. Jesus is the ultimate life coach, Christian. I come up here every week, and part of this ministry and is to try to develop you into the ways of the Lord, because God's ways are success. And if you know that. No? Nobody knows that? <laughs> Jesus doesn't lose. He cannot lose. He doesn't like to lose, nor can he lose. He's never known defeat, nor will he ever know defeat. And because he loves you and because he's in you, his dream and desire for you is that you cannot lose. That every circumstance that comes against you, you can overcome. Everything that's intent on burying you, you can bury it. The only way the believer is overcome is when they quit. The only thing that tells the Christian that they can stop is in the scripture is be not weary in your well-doing for in due season you will reap if you faint not. The only thing that can keep you from getting what God has called you to do is when you quit. When you, if you will not act in courage, if you're acting in courage and moving forward, doing what God has told you to do, and you're moving forward, the Bible says you will reap. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but God says you will reap if you do not quit. You will do that. And one of the choices that we have to overcome is this idea of, of quitting. It's too soon to quit. God's for you. He's not against you. His ways are success. God's desire is to teach us and train us in the light ways of life, to teach us and train us in the ways of victory. He promises you shalom. He is Jehovah Shalom. Say it with me. His name is my inheritance. Right? Wherever his name is, there is your inheritance. It belongs to you. Inheritance, you don't have to do anything except activate it. Destiny, you have to partner with. But inheritance, you just activate. Jehovah Shalom is his name over you. His intent for you is to cause your life to rise and flourish. Shalom means to rise and flourish. That's what it means. So when God puts his name over his people and he says, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the God who causes your life to rise and to flourish. Does he mean it? Is he just writing poems? He means it. He means it. So God's intent for your life is for it to rise and to flourish, for the water to overflow the banks of the river of your life and to begin to water everything around you, that you would become a person of influence, that the, that God's life, that the abundance of your life would begin to affect other people. That's his intent. The abundance of your knowledge, the abundance of your love, whatever it may be. It's not just money. The Bible says this, Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2. But be, be, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Into the new person. Come on. By changing the way that I think. Transformation is about a mindset shift. It's a perspective shift. You have the opportunity to think in terms of culture. You can think of worldly culture. You can think just like the world. And the kingdom will be no effect upon your life. This is, this is modern Christianity today. We're bound in two. There's three cultures and the church primarily holds on to two. 
and does not act and does not move in the third. The first culture is world culture. We have churches that think and act just like the world. There's no difference. Salt without savor, right? Cities on a hill with light over them. Act, talk, do everything just like the world. Always show up on Sundays. We sing the songs. We quote a few verses and then just go right back to the way of living and thinking that every single person around us is. There's no difference in our life. There's no impact. There's no fragrance. There's no aroma. The kingdom has no effect on people who think like that. The second one is church culture. Church culture is denominationalism, right? Preferences. It's just all of this internal stuff that, that re relates to the way that the church, every church, you know, Jesus gives us the gospel and we have a philosophy. He gives us latitude. A philosophical approach is where the latitude within the church is. We all have the same gospel, but the way that we present the gospel is determined. He allows us to do that. We have a preference in that. The preference of this church is to present the gospel from the kingdom's perspective. Not all churches present the gospels from the kingdom's perspective. You need to be aware of that. They present it from their denomination's perspective. They present it from their tradition's perspective. They present it from even their personal preferences, but not from the kingdom perspective. So their way of thinking and bringing things forward. I'll give you an example. Seven out of 10 American evangelical, seven out of 10 American churches do not believe that God heals. You didn't know that, did you? I tell people this all the time. They don't believe God heals. And if he does, it's just some random act. They don't believe that God is actively healing today. Of the 30%, less than 10% actually lay hands on the sick. And of the 10%, probably less than 3% or 1%, it's a very low number, actually see manifested miracles. And yet the miracles are promised because we operate in the context within church culture or we put it within earth culture. We don't put it within kingdom culture. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Jesus said on earth is what? Right. Our job is to manifest on earth as it is. God promised us if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. He promised us. This is one area. That's kingdom. So we have to think like the kingdom. We cannot think like the church. We cannot think like the tradition. We cannot think like the world. If we think like church culture, we will be defeated. If we think like world culture, you will be defeated. Write it down. I was just telling my wife, I'm reading this book about God as a warrior, super theological and heady. She's like, I don't know how you can read these books. I love it. I'm like, mind-melting theology. I like it. It's about God being a warrior. And I was just sharing with her one little thing I got out of this book, that God never promised them that he would give them victory in every battle they fought. But he promised them that he would give them victory in every, every battle he led them into. God will lead you into, into battle, Christian. He will lead you into victory. He will lead you into triumph. So not every choice that you make does God promise victory. You can think and act like the culture, and you get defeated. Now, God will restore you right? He'll cause that stupidity to work out to your good, but he didn't promise you victory there. He promises victory from the mindset of his kingdom. He promises victory from the will of his heart and the will of his spirit, and this is what we have to cultivate. If we think differently, we will be defeated. We will be defeated. That doesn't mean God's not for us. We're never, the church will never be defeated. No, the church can be defeated. Can, can we look around? Is anybody, anybody alive here in the 21st century that says that the church can be defeated? The church can be defeated when she operates outside of the context of what God has designed. That's when we are defeated. But we are unstoppable, insurmountable, undeniable when we are in his heart and in his ways. 
Nations will bow before us. Thrones will be cast aside. Mountains will move when the church operates in the heart that God has designed her to. That's the art, Christian. That's the quest. The quest is not denominationalism, human preferences. The quest is the kingdom. We're to seek first what? (gasps) And then what? That's right. When does the impossible happen? When we're pursuing the kingdom, not the kingdom from human understanding. Churches all believe that they're chasing the kingdom in some form or another. It, but it's kingdom as you define it. Not king, it's, it's, it's kingdom as he says it, not as we say it. Just because your ancestors and your traditions going back a thousand years or a hundred years or whatever it is say that Jesus doesn't heal doesn't mean that that's kingdom. That's not kingdom. God says he heals. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just a thought. There are those that just tell people that, well, you just got to suffer and just get by and hunker down till Jesus comes. That's, again, that's not kingdom. The kingdom is victory. The kingdom is overcoming power. The kingdom is above only and not defeat and not beneath. That's the kingdom, Christian. And we have to realign our thinking. We have to begin to choose differently. We have to begin to look at the choices and realize and begin to ask ourselves, by what culture am I thinking from? When I have this mindset, am I thinking from this world? When I have this mindset, am I thinking from my church tradition? Or am I thinking from heaven's heaven's possibilities? Am I thinking from the mind of Christ? This is the challenge. This is the heart, and this is what God intends for us to create. And that's when we become impossible to stop. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to be aware of our heart, Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for all life flows from the heart. Guard your intake. Guard what comes out of your heart. Guard what goes into your heart. All of your life is shaped by the way you think and perceive. Your paradigms affect you more than you realize. Yeah? Your paradigms put limitations on you that God never put on you. You are limited not because Jesus limits you. You are limited by the way you think and perceive. This is true. You can, your, choices, your choices, you be, become what you choose. There are people who continually let people run over them. You keep choosing to allow people to take advantage of you. You keep choosing to allow people to just, in, in the name of empathy, you think you're being empathetic. You think you're being kind. Say it with me. Empathy does not move heaven. Faith moves heaven. Jesus is not moved by human empathy. Read your Bible. He walked right by them all day long. There were moments when he did, but faith is what stopped him. Faith is what moves him. He had compassion on the people, but he could do nothing in compassion to the people, the 5,000, until somebody brought him a measure of faith. And when he had faith, he moved upon faith. Empathy is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. It's true. And there are Christians who allow people to continually take advantage of them and continually consume them. I got news for you. The devil will overrun you. You have a destiny, a dream. You're trying to pursue God, and he sees that you constantly yield to empathy. He will fill your life and overflow you with need, and you'll drown in a sea of need. And you'll lose all sense of self and you'll lose all sense of direction because you're consumed and overwhelmed by need. And you'll say, God, help me. God, help me. And Jesus will say, start saying no. You have to own your no. Just because you say no, it's not, it's not, it's not from a lack of compassion. Just a thought. 
You are what you choose. You can choose to let people run over you. You can choose to stay in the same job or at the same measure, or you can choose to believe God for more. It's true. You are what you choose. Who's holding you in the job that you have? You say you want to make more money, but I'm capped at what I can make at this job. Change jobs. Oh, but I don't know. You know, you know, and you're making a choice to stay where you are. Then that's fine. Then stay there. But you are what you choose. You're making a choice in safety. You're making a choice maybe in fear. But nonetheless, you are what you choose. Nothing is going to change until you begin to choose differently. Say, God bless me financially. Well, you're going to have to make some choices. <laughs> you know, you're either going to have to upgrade your job or you're going to have to get a side hustle or two. That's the only way God blesses you. The only, there's only two ways. To make, there's only two ways money comes, right? You either make more of it or you spend less of it. There's no other way. There's no other way. You have to make more or you have to spend less. God will provide for you. He will give you the income, but you have to choose. You have to choose. It's like the guy said. He said, I took opportunity and took opportunity and took opportunity until opportunity began to pay off. We take one opportunity, it fails, and we go, oh, I'm a loser. Oh, God doesn't love me. Didn't work. How many times did Thomas Edison try the light bulb? I don't even know. Some of my favorite stories. Thousands. Like 10,000 times or something. Like some unbelievable number, this guy, this guy makes the light bulb. Like for me, can you imagine you're trying to make this light bulb work? And you're on like 600, 652, and you're just like, man, you know. I'm going to give this to 700, and I'm going to call it a day. You know, we're going to move on to another project. This dude stayed at it for like thousands of times until he developed the incandescent light bulb. Is that crazy? He kept trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. He didn't quit. You choose to stay in the same habits. You choose to not change, Christian. You choose to allow the same influences. You choose to not move forward. You choose to stay the same. You are what you choose. That's 50% of this. That's what I'm trying to get you at. This isn't everything. Say, it's not everything, Pastor. It's half of it. I can assure you of that. It's half of your problem. Half your problems are your choices or your lack thereof. We don't want to make a mistake. That's our fear. We don't want to make a mistake. Well, you got Jesus, man. He's the in the restoration business. What are you afraid of? Get up and go. We don't want to make a mistake. That's why 11 disciples didn't get out of the boat, because they didn't want to make a mistake. They didn't want to look bad. Well, who are they going to look bad? We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to seem unpious as we step out of the boat, because, no, but Peter didn't care. He didn't care. He got out of the boat, right? Jesus, and we always take that as like Jesus correcting him. Oh, you of little faith. It wasn't like that. It was more of a commendation. Jesus slapping him on the shoulder and goes, little faith. Look what you can do with little faith. Imagine what you can do with big faith. Little faith. Why'd you stop believing, little faith? Look what you could do. Imagine what big faith would do. You see, it's a totally different paradigm, isn't it? You can look at this and go, little faith, Peter, why does your faith? If he's going to correct anybody, he's going to correct the 11 that are in the boat. He wasn't correcting Peter. He was commending him. Little faith. Why didn't you believe? Why did you stop believing? The 11 in the, 11 in the boat were the ones that needed the correction. What's wrong with y'all? Right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. Get in the game. People, choose, people who choose to see things differently see change, changes of those who won't. If you see things differently, you're going to see changes. 
If you see things differently, you begin to choose differently, things will change for you. But if you don't, everything's going to stay the same. You have to see and choose differently. You have to change your paradigms and begin to make different choices. You have a great opportunity. Coming out of all this stuff, it's a fresh start. It's Pentecost Sunday. You can't get any more powerful in a fresh start than that. It's a fresh start, right? Proverbs 10 says, The lazy person becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. People choose not to work. They are what they choose. People choose not to show up for jobs, and they lose them. They are what they choose. People choose to not live a life or work a life with excellence and intention. They are what they choose. You are what you choose. You choose to honor God. You are what you choose. You choose to dishonor God. You are what you choose. Jesus told Peter, it's hard to kick against the goads. God has established a system of order. Everything in this universe works according to law. You have the law of sin and death, and you have the law of the what? Anybody know? Spirit. We can choose to operate and live our life by the law of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit, or we can choose to live our life by the law of sin and death. So I'm a Christian. I'm not subject to the law of sin and death. If you keep making worldly choices, you certainly are. Your choices don't condemn you, but, they, but your choices don't exempt you either. Right? Somebody says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I always tell them, unless it's itchy, and then you bring it back home with you. Right? It's true. You are what you choose. You know, sin doesn't condemn you, but, sin, but you are not exempt from the consequences of your sin. You're not exempt from the consequences of your, of your choices. You're just, you're not. When you choose differently, God has a system in a way. The way of the Spirit is life and health and peace. Anybody want that? Follow Him. You want success? Follow Jesus. The problem upon most modern generation is that it's too, it's too long for us. Oh, it takes too long. It takes too long. Listen, Jesus shows us that He works in process. He's working in process. He's not a, he, Jesus is not opposed to blessing you, establishing you, and putting weight on your life. But his work in your life is always character. Always character. He's not interested in comfort. He's interested in character. Commit these things to faithful, character-driven people who can teach others. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in character. Because upon character, he can build Without character, everything falls apart. Character's doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. Character's listening to Jesus and following Jesus when it's inconvenient for you. That's what character is. Character's who you are when no one looks. Character's honoring God when it's not acceptable, it's not convenient. God's looking for character. We want the short track oftentimes. Who doesn't, right? Why do I want to wait? 18 minutes for my steak when I can go to Burger King and have it my way and have it now. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, we, we, we all want it like that. We don't, want, we, don't, we don't want this process, but God is a God of process. When the Lord, and you know what the beautiful thing is? Because what God does in your life, no one can take it from you. This is what's different. What he does, the gifts of callings are without repentance. What Jesus does, nobody's taking it from you. What you do, well, flip a coin because it's subject to this world. What others do is subject to this world. You know, there's a lot of people, I've met a lot of people that are able to build great works in their own effort and they lose them just as quickly. 
But when God builds it for you, and God puts a mandate on it, and God's presence is on it, it doesn't even matter if there's a downturn. You can rest assured there will be an upturn because he backs it. He backs what he says, he backs what he promises, and he backs what he commits to. And when he commits to it, he doesn't change his mind. We're the ones that change our minds. God says, what I've given you, I don't repent, I don't change my mind about what I've given you. I'm still for you. People go, oh, I want to change, Pastor. I want to change. Oh, I want to change. Oh, want, Say it with me. Wanting is not enough. All right? We do the deliverance class, Inner Healing and Deliverance, and I, taught, I was trying to get everybody to understand deliverance is for the desperate. And we can say this. Transformation is for the desperate. You will change when you're hurting enough to change. When do people change? People don't change out of comfort, and people don't change out of convenience. People change when they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's when things change. When they're just, they've had it, they're fed up, they can't take it anymore, then they look for change. Or when they're hurting enough. But until you're hurting enough and until you're sick and tired, the odds are you're not going to change. It's not. You got to find it when you got to want to change. You don't, you know, wanting to change is not enough. You have to want it at all costs. James 2. Don't you know, foolish person, that faith without works is dead? I'm believing God to change. Well, what has he told you to do? There's a partnership involved here, right? I'm believing God to increase my whatever. You want God to change your marriage? Start, start influencing yourself with positive marriage images. Start reading books and getting, you know, I mean, don't listen to these idiots out there. Listen to godly people who are kingdom people that understand and know, know how know the relational dynamics and things will change. Begin influencing yourself with that. Begin choosing differently. Begin surrounding yourself with people who have had successful relationships and your marriage will change, right? Is that understood? You, you want to you grow in business. They're, God, they're kingdom builders. They're people that know business. Begin influencing yourself with business. Begin get, putting yourself in a position where people are all around you, influencing you with business. We practice this here. I have a guy right now. He's like my experiment. He's my grand experiment. And he asked me, he's like, what, what do you think I should do? And I, I tell him the same thing. I said, cut out the negative. Everything that is opposed to what God is telling you, get rid of it. Put the unbeliever, the mocker, the scoffer out of the room. Every negative influence, get rid of it. Begin to fill yourself with everything that affirms what God is telling you. Learn, grow, get around people, you know, get people to pray for you, whatever, but get around people that are influential and find people that are smarter than you. And he went to this one guy, and I'll tell, I won't tell the whole story, but he went to this one guy who is very wealthy, and he's retired now, and he lives in a, in a retirement home. And um, he went to the guy, and he asked him, he said, if you were in my position, what would you do? And he, because he wants, he, he wants to make money, he wants to become financially independent. There's nothing wrong with that. And so the guy said, if I was you, the first thing I would do is I would learn how money works. And he comes back to me and he says, now why would that guy say that to me? He said, that's the only thing he told me. He said, you need to go learn how money works. And I just, I looked at him and I was like, he just gave you the golden key. He just gave you the ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, bro. And you don't understand it because money gravitates to the people who understand it most. Money does not gravitate to the people who want it most. Money gravitates to the people who understand it most. Money is a tool and an instrument, right? It's an investable commodity. It's a buying and a trading. Money must work for you. You know, it doesn't mean you don't buy things. That's not what I'm saying. But most people don't understand money. That's why they're quickly part with it. <laughs> 
story of a missionary. They were showing these missionaries, they were bringing cows to these, these tribes. True story. And they were bringing cows. They were bringing a male and a female cow. And they were, sh- they were trying to share with these tribes there that if you take these cows and you breed them, within five years you'll have a herd of cattle, right? And you'll be able to, do, you'll be able to multiply, but it's going to take you five years. Well, they didn't even, it didn't even last five weeks. They killed the cows because they can't think. They weren't thinking in long term. These missionaries are coming there. That, that, that whole project, I don't know if you all remember that. A few years back, they were doing all these projects where they were trying to give chickens and goats and all these things to these tribes to get them to try to, you know, grow and, and have become independent. The problem with it was is they give them chickens and they say, here's the chickens, here's the eggs, here's the goat, here's the milk. Well, they kill the goat and they kill the chickens. You know, they have a couple of really good barbecues, but then everything's gone. Because people by nature think in short term. They, they think in immediacy. They don't think in long term. You have to begin to change and shift the way that you think. You're going to have to think differently. You have to change the way that God thinks in long term. He thinks in terms of eternity. So if my father thinks long term, then I need to think long term. If my father thinks in sections, then I need to think in sections. The evening and the morning was the first day. Second day, he creates the, the, the water cycle. Third day, he creates the earth, Right? He's creating everything in a section and in order, and he's building upon it, and he's thinking, and that's how my father thinks. So therefore, that's how I have to think. I have to think in terms of systems, whether I like it or not. I have to think in terms of process, whether I like it or not, because that's how the creator thinks, and the creator is my father. Does that understand? You guys understand this? Yeah? Okay, so it's just kind of how it works. You have to choose who influences you and what you're consuming. Yeah? Who's influencing you? What, do you what, what content do you consume? We're in an era of content, are we not? Oh my gosh, there's like, I mean, it's like we take it so much for granted. I remember when I used to have to prepare notes. My wife remembers this back in the day. I call this the Fred Flintstone method, right? I would be preparing teachings and I'd have like 18 books scattered across the table right? And I'd be pulling from all these different things and, you know, putting messages together. And it would, and then ultimately, because I have to teach the next week, there would always be a pile of books on the table. It used to drive her crazy. Then all of a sudden we got internet and we got Wikipedia and we got uh, all sorts of resources that at the click of a button, entire libraries are replaced and entire libraries are at your fingertips. We're in, we're in an era of content. We're in an era where everybody is creating content. We're inundated with information. That's a positive and that's a negative because that information has an influence on you. The question is, is what are you consuming? What, infor- what information are you consuming? And is that information having a positive or a negative influence on you? Is it bringing you towards the Lord, away from the Lord? Is it building faith or is it building fear? What's it doing? What is, what is what you're consuming doing? You have, you're going to consume something. People are like, we need to shut off all media. And, well, I'm not telling you to shut off all media because that's ridiculous, right? It's not, I'm not going to tell you to shut off social media. Just, just change who's influencing you, right? Just change the people that you're listening to. Change the people that you're watching. Even change the messages that you're sending out. Shift. Shift. You have to be willing to do that. Influential people around you, you have to find out who's influencing me. Who's influencing me? Are they drawing me to where I want to go or are they making me jealous, right, and ticking me off? I can't, you know, I find Facebook, you know, when I, I try to be on social media because it's relevant to the culture. I personally like Facebook. Not, I'm not condoning Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. Well, 
I, I don't know what to tell you. But as far as me, like, like Instagram drives me crazy. Like as a church, we use Instagram as a tool, right? As a ministry tool. And we try to make it all about Jesus. So when you're looking at Instagram, it's not all about Pastor Kevin, Pastor Sherry, Elevate Miami Church. It, I mean, the church is in there a little bit, but it's all about Jesus. Look at some of these guys, these pastors, and it's all about themselves. It's all about them, me, myself, and I. And that's what I feel like Instagram oftentimes degrades itself to, is it's everybody's highlight reel. And it just makes me mad, you know, when I'm going through it, everybody's getting jealous. Their kids made the honor roll. Dang it. My son got a C. He didn't make the honor roll, right? You know, you don't know the backstory. So it's like you got to be careful what you're consuming. And I feel like when it's provoking me in a negative way, I pull away from it and don't allow it to influence me. I didn't say I wasn't using it, but when I look at Instagram personally, full confession, pray for me again, right? It, it, it aggravates me. I can feel it. I can feel the negative emotion of that. And so I tend to, because I don't find it to be real. I don't find it to be authentic. I find it to be fake because most people's lives are not like what they put up on Instagram, right? You're not laying on the beach with your toes in the sand drinking Mai Tais 24-7. You're just not, right? Life's good, you know, you know. Kids are all washed and cleaned and laundry's done and, you know, new car, Kate Spade bag on the arm, the whole nine. And you're like, that's not reality, man. It's not reality. I love you, Mariah, and I know you're watching. So my daughter brings our grandson last week. Okay, so my daughter, she married, got, we got a little, ba- little, little boy, Rowan, love him to death. And so Mariah, when she would bring a Rowan over to our house, in the beginning, everything was nice and it was neat and it was packed. And, you know, you have like, a, I don't even know, like, like a, one of the diaper bags, I don't even know the name of it, but there'd be like a designer name on it, like Calvin Klein, right? She'd come over with a nice Calvin Klein diaper bag and a really, you know, Gerber stroller, the whole thing. She brought him over this time. I'm like, hey, where's Rowan's stuff? She's like, it's in the bag on the table. It was in a Publix bag, right? <laughs> this is three years in. You know, this is a mom three years in. She's like, Shh, we don't need that bag. Just shove it in the Publix bag. <laughs> It's so funny because normally everything's packed and the snacks are over here and here's the socks and here's everything and, and it's all nice and orderly and I don't mean any offense, but I just thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, he's three now. So we've moved away from the designer Calvin Klein Viper bag and now we're doing Publix bags. I'm like, yeah, that, that's reality. Put that on Instagram, right? It's just true. Say it with me. Fools find excuses. The faithful find a way. A fool's got an excuse for everything. It's too hard. Oh, it's too hard. I don't have the money. Oh. I get Christians all the time that tell me they don't have the money. You know what I tell them? You have faith. Believe God. Is money hard for Jesus? The money's hard for you. Money's not hard for him. The way that God gets money to you is by changing you. You don't want to change. You don't want to shift the way that you think and the way that you act and the way that you respond, and you don't want to give up your excuses. I'm telling you now, money's not a problem for Jesus. It's not, right? Streets of gold, I tell people this all the time, right? Gates of pearls, walls of jasper. He's sitting on a throne, and the sea behind him is diamonds, right? Gold is, gold is pavement in his kingdom. Jesus needs money. He says, Peter, there's some fish down there with gold in it. Go get it, right? I mean... He's got resources everywhere. The question is, is where's your mindset? Where's your thinking? Where's your paradigm? Where's your perspective? Well, God wants me poor. Who told you that? 
Poverty mentality, again, change the way that you think. This is, a, this is the idea. Everybody has excuses. I hear it all the time. I just don't have the money for that. I'm like, psh, psh. ask the Lord for it. Ask the Lord. Do you know how many things I've done that God has set before me and I put faith on it and he paid for it? Do you have any idea? Problem is, is you don't have the faith to believe him for it. You have an excuse. And so you stay as you are because you have excuses. You have to give up your excuses and fight the fight of faith. Faith is a fight. Can I get a witness here? Faith's not easy. That's why it's like, oh, it's hard. I got to believe God. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. You're dang right it's hard. You got to fight, man. You got to throw it down. You don't feel it. Faith doesn't have feelings. Say it with me. Faith has no feeling. We're an emotionally driven culture. And we think if we don't feel it, then it's not God. Well, I got news for you. Faith has no feeling. Faith is neutral. Faith is a neutral assurance. Faith is a neutral confidence. There's no feeling to it, only a certainty. That's what faith is. You don't feel anything. You're just sure. Yeah? And so because we don't have feeling, we have to fight the fight of faith. We have to press into what we're sure of. We find excuses. It's too hard. I don't have the money. It's, it's too late. I've missed my opportunity. Who told you that? Who told you that? Anybody tell Jesus tell you that? Anytime you give an excuse, you need to ask yourself, did Jesus tell me that? Oh, no, Jesus didn't tell me that? Then that must be a lie. Because if Jesus is the word of truth, and only he is the one who speaks truth, and if he didn't say it, then everything that contradicts what he says is a lie. Let God be true. That's right. And every man a liar. People say, I'm too old. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you you're too old? Good God, read your Bible, people. Read your Bible. Every, every significant act done in a man or a woman's life was done on the back end of their life. Every single one. Every single one was done on the backside. Do you know why? Because you're older, you're smarter, you know, you've made all the stupid mistakes you're going to make. Chances are you're not going to do that one again, right? It's true. Every, and what we do, what the church culture does, this is church culture, so I'm going to tell you kingdom culture. Kingdom culture says, you're not too old. Rise up. That's kingdom culture. Church culture is like, well, time for you to go out to pasture. Get yourself a blanket in a rocking chair. It's passed you by. And then you look at your life and go, but I haven't even done anything. You know, I've raised kids for 25 years. Well, just be grateful for that. That's church culture. That is not kingdom culture. How old was Abraham when he had a kid? Like 90s? Abraham, Moses is in like, he's like in his 80s. I mean, you can go, you can map it. Caleb took his mountain. God knows how old he is. He waited 40 years from a promise. So if he was 20 and when God promised it to him, he was at least 60 when he started to walk into it. True stuff, man. Give up your excuses. You say, I'm too old. Who told you that? Who told you that? I tell people to tell me that you're old. You're smarter than you've ever been. You have more resources than you've ever had, Right? You're locked in the mistakes of your past. Learn from the mistakes of your past. Move forward. I'm all in, man. Say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Are you? Are you? Let's just really break this one down, right? I want to break this one down. Let's break down if you're too busy. Let's, let's just break it down. There's 168 hours in a week. Say it with me. 168 hours in a week. Let's just put it out there to the American average. Let's just throw it out there. Let's just say you work a 50-hour week. 
right? We could even throw another five on that. We'd still be good. Let's say you work 50 hours. Let's say you work 55 hours, but my math, I did 50 hours on this. Let's say we give you 56 hours for sleeping. That's eight hours, seven days a week, right? 56, is that right? All right, good. Okay, so 50 hours of work, 56 hours of sleeping, that's a net gain of 62 hours a week. So your sleeping and your work is covered, and you still have 62 hours left for the whole week. If you multiply that by 52 weeks, you know how many hours you have of free time a year? This is your free time. Free time. This is not your work, and this is not your schlafen, right? You have 3,224 hours of free time every year. So when you say, I don't have the time, I go, really? Really? You don't have the time? You have 3,224 hours a year of free time, and you're telling me you don't have the time? Do you know they say expertise and transformation can happen in 1,000 hours? If you spent one-third of your free time this year, you could be a completely different person in just spending 30%. Let's just say you spend 15%. You can completely transform in two years if you focus on something. People say, I don't have the time. Don't, really? Really? You have the time. You don't take time. You, you don't make time. You take it. You have to know where your time is going, and you have to budget it. You have plenty of time. You have 3,224 hours a year. That's yours. It's true. You say, oh, I don't have the money. Do you know where your money goes? Anybody know where their money goes? Your money goes to your priorities. Number one, where your treasure is, there your heart is. It goes to what you value. It goes to what you want. I don't have the money, pastor. Hey, people tell me that. I'm like, you got like an iPhone 62. You know what I'm saying? Your cell phone looks like a ping pong paddle. Yeah, you got, I, I was just walking with this, with this family, and they were talking to me about all this stuff. And they were looking at their expenses. And the vast majority of the expenses were in things that they wanted. They had $1,000 in car payments plus insurance, right? I get it. Some things are necessities, but not everything's a necessity. You can drive a used car. <gasps> no, I can't. No, I can't. You know I drive used cars. That's all I've ever done. Do you know why? Because they're not equitable assets. I do not purchase non-equitable assets. It's me. Now, I'm not against you've got a new car, go right ahead. I would love to have a new car. I'm trying to get myself in a position where I can buy a new car and it doesn't affect me at all. But I know if I buy, if I buy a new car now, it affects my choices moving forward, right? And I got it. People are like, I got kids. I need a, I need a good car. I, I get that too. I'm completely down. I'm not saying this for you. I'm simply giving you a different perspective. There are people in the room that you drive used cars just because you like your roll-up game to look good, Right? You like, you like to roll up and everybody's like, woo, right? It's true. You have to change the way that you think. You have to know where your money is going and where your money is going to priorities. And if you don't have enough money, you know what you have? You have Jesus. Do you know what Jesus told David? I gave you everything, David, and if it wasn't enough, I would give you more. Do you think that you're less than David in your father's eyes? You're not. You know where you are less than, you know where you are beneath David is in your level of faith. David would run out and face a giant. Do you? Do you? Do you run and hide every time there's a giant in your life? Every time something's rattling, do you go and are you afraid? David lived a life of honor. He made some really bad choices. This is true. 
but he lived a life of honor before the Lord. He made selfish, indulgent choices. Again, this is true. But he still chose to honor God. He chose to honor God in every way. And God gave him everything. And he told him, if that wasn't enough for you, David, I would have given you more. Is it not enough for you, Christian? Tell your father you want more. He's going to ask you, why do you want it? And you got to tell him why you want it. And it's got to be aligned with his kingdom. He'll give you more, and then he's going to give you instructions. You may not like the instructions, but you're going to have to follow his instructions. This is how it works. Our problems are self-inflicted. We want what we want. We want it the way that we want. We don't like not being in control. I tell people all the time, you know nothing. Jesus knows everything. And until you come to that covenantal level of that relationship, nothing's going to change. You don't know anything. I don't have any good ideas. I don't. I don't. I don't make decisions impulsively. I don't make a decision circumstantially. I make them based upon what he's telling me to do. I do my best at that. That's, that's the life I live. This is how things change for you. Things are going to change for you when you start making these choices. What affects your choices, your environment, your paradigms, and your past? You become what you are focused on. As a person thinks in their heart, so they have become. If you're focused on fear, you're going to be a person of fear. If you're focused on jealousy, you're going to be a person of jealousy. You're going to be consumed by what you focus on. When Adam fell, worldly thinking entered the world. Man never thought in worldly terms until Adam fell. And you know how Adam fell? You know how, how the devil got him to fall? By changing his perspective. He got Adam to separate him, Adam and Eve to separate themselves from God by changing their perspectives. This hasn't God said. You shall not truly die. God's not good. God's keeping something from you. He changed their perspective. That's the root of the lie. You're not worthy. God's, God's not good. If God was good, he would have given you this tree. He's keeping it from you. See, he's not good, and you're not worthy of love. That's the inception of this lie that we bought into. And when he changed man's mentality and shifted him away from the goodness of God and got him to think on an earthly plane instead of a heavenly plane, sin entered. Worldly thinking. That's what happens. That's where we are. That's why we have to change the way that we think. We're not to be bound by fear. We're to be bound by faith. I didn't say you don't feel fear, right? We say, oh, we're not bound by fear. We think we don't feel fear. You're going to feel fear because you're human, right? You got to understand that fear is part of the human condition. It's a human emotion, right? I hate feeling fear. Ah. Anybody like fear? No. You're going to feel fear, but you do it afraid. You do it even though you feel fear. You act in faith even though you're feeling fear. It's another story. You have a choice between your influences, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what the Bible says our enemies are. Worldly, the thinking, the culture, the, 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 the flesh, the selfish desires, what we want, what we think. Hmm? That's our problem. Our problem is what we want and what we think. What we're to do is to take our lives and align them, and what we want is what he wants. And Jesus wants you blessed. I don't know if you know that. Jesus wants you to succeed. God, Jesus wants you influential. It's all over the scripture but not influential and successful for yourself. Influential and successful in a way that impacts people for his glory. So when what you do aligns with that purpose, God's all over it. Our selfish desires, most of the time we want it all for ourselves. Why? Well, it's just me. Me, me. So I can live on the water in a gated, in a gated house where there's no one around. and You know, me. Ah, you know, that's why we want it. 
I want it so that I don't have to worry. Oh, I could go off on this, but I'm not gonna. But that I can fund and propagate your kingdom. Now you're saying things that align with his heart. The world, worldly thinking is always against us. The flesh. I tell people this. Your pride, say it with me. My pride and my ego are not my friends. Anytime you feel selfish pride and selfish ego, you need to kill that part of you. You need to do the exact opposite. Pride and ego are not your friends. They're destructive every single time. They don't come from the Lord. The devil, the devil creates influences. The devil can't control the way you think, but he can influence it. He'll sow a thought, he'll sow a reality. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves you. And then he reinforces it with a reality. Someone will go, get out of here. We don't want you around, right? And then he'll go, see, I told you, no one loves you. He'll say, God doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. And then your world will fall apart. And he'll go, see, I told you he doesn't love you. You have to trust and believe in the goodness of God no matter what your circumstances say. God is good. God is for you. doesn't matter what your circumstances says. doesn't matter what your heart says. doesn't matter what anybody says. God is good and God is for you. All right, real quick. <laughs> you have to feed your heart with the positive inspired kingdom content so the first how do you want to change the way you're thinking you are what you eat basically what are you consuming what are you putting into you if you put garbage in garbage comes out right you you got to put things that feed faith and starve fear you got to feed with kingdom i'm not even saying christian content right i i've, I've you want to see what's shifting with me man i've shifted I've consumed all the Christian content I can. I don't listen to anything if it's not kingdom related, right? Or if it's something that it's an area that I'm looking to reinforce or to understand from a kingdom perspective. I don't just listen to anybody. I don't feed on just anything. I listen to things that build where I feel God is calling me to go. You have to feed on positive content. People go, but I need to watch the news, pastor. I need to know what's going on. Do you really? Do you really? If you do then you need to be proactive in the problems that are being presented on the TV. Wherever the problems are, you were created and called to create a solution for those problems. I, people are like, don't you know about the war in Ukraine? I'm like, what war in Ukraine? We're at 100 days. I'm like, are we? Because you know what? This kingdom is my focus. Every time I get focused, gas prices! They're almost $5 a gallon. I know, and I hate it, and I just close my eyes when I look at the pump. I just do this. God's on the throne. God's on the throne. Well, whatever, 570, whatever, 470, whatever they are. You have, to, you have to feed your heart. You have to free your heart. You have to find out where the dysfunction's coming from. This is another topic, but it's very important. I'm not going to spend any time on it, but you've got to find out where these issues are coming from. When you have dysfunctions, you have to find out where this dysfunction is coming from. Romans 8 says, Those who follow their sinful selves think only about the things that their sinful self wants. But those who live by the Spirit think about the things that the Spirit wants. Right? So there are dysfunctions within you, and you have to know, where is this dysfunction coming from? I'll give you the standard Christian culture answer. Your old nature. Yes, but what specific part of my old nature is it coming from? I've been in this game way too long. I'm a practitioner of this gospel. I can tell you what works and most certainly what doesn't work. That I can assure you. It's your old nature, your old nature. No, but I need to know where's this coming from? Where's this coming from? 
Where's this dysfunctional behavior coming from? When I'm in the spirit, I'm free. When I'm out of the spirit, I'm bound. Why is that? We're not bound. We're free in Christ. Are we? Are we? We're free spiritually. We're free from the condemnation of sin. But have we looked around lately? Right? What if it's possible to be free in every area of your life? For, this, for freedom's sake, Christ made you free. What if that's possible? It's another story. <laughs> People go, oh, I struggle. I had one guy tell me one time, he's like, I struggle with liquor, Pastor. I really have a drinking problem. This is when we were downtown when we first started this church. And I was, you know, I gave him a ride home. He's like, oh, you just got to pray for me. I really struggle with drinking. I, dro- I literally dropped this guy off. He lives above a liquor store. No lie. I'm like, are you kidding? I thought he was joking. I'm like, you live here? He lived upstairs above the liquor store. I'm like, you have a drinking problem and you live above a liquor store, right? I get guys tell me, oh, I really struggle with sex. I struggle with sex, man. I need to struggle with sex. I'm going to kill you. Did you say sex in church? I just said sex in church, right? <laughs> struggle with sex. I got a rule for you. Get married. <gasps> the Bible has a remedy for people who struggle with sex. It says get married. Husbands, I got another one for you. Are you struggling with sex? Have sex with your wife. Ladies, get your hand off the cookie jar and give the brother a cookie, right? That dude ain't going to want to have sex with nobody if he's got it all he wants and all he can handle at home, right? I'm talking like overwhelm that dude. Let's get it on. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be like... He's going, to be one to, he's going to be the one going, I'm tired. Not you. I'm telling you, you won't, if you've got problems with sex and looking at other women, have sex with your wife. Lots of it. Because you're going to be like, Phew. right? The appetite is only for the hungry. When the appetite is satiated, I could put a steak in front of you, a starving man, and he's going to consume the whole thing. Someone who's completely full and just came from a buffet, he's not going to be hungry at all. It's real simple math. It's true. The Bible's remedy for sexual, for sexual issues is to get married. We have a commitless generation. Do you love Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Do you both want to follow Jesus with all your heart? Are you both fully committed? Get married, and both of you follow Jesus. But there's going to be problems. You're dang right there's going to be problems. The Bible says those who get married such will have trouble in this life. You're going to have trouble in this life. Know that for sure. But the devoted commitment to Christ is what saves marriages. Can I get a witness? Right? And what causes marriages to degrade is when either party is less committed to the the Lord than the other. That's another story. I've been married 30 plus years. I can comment on marriage. Years ago, I'd be like, I don't know if I can talk about marriage. I've been married for three years. Now I can tell you all all you want to know. What do you want to know? Last thing, focus and create new habits. So here's my last thing for you. You have to begin the day with worship. You have to create new habits. You want to change the way that you think? Begin the day with worship. Worship, prayer, and adoration. You can begin the day with worship, just beginning to worship the Lord. You begin the day with prayer. Lord, help me today, whatever. You can begin the day with adoration. Father, I just give you glory. I thank you that you were for me and not against me. Begin with adoration, simple stuff. Let heaven begin to fill your thoughts. Do not think about the things of the earth, Colossians 3.2. Second thing, fill your life with kingdom influences, scripture, books, teaching, kingdom culture, not church culture, faith-driven, what do you do? Everybody say it with me. Set up my phone. Right? So y'all need to get your little phone, right? Your iPhone 6224, and you need to put down, make yourself a playlist of worship music. Get yourself 15 or 20 songs on a loop. Get yourself a Kindle account. 
Get yourself an Audible account. Get yourself a SoundCloud account. We have 100 messages on SoundCloud. Find people and things that minister to you, influence you, and put them on a loop. You can listen to people pray. You don't want to pray. There are people that will pray for you. You can just tune into prayer. And you can just be like, amen, amen. You know, there are people that pray all kinds of different prayers. You want Gregorian chants? They have people that will chant. Whatever gets you there. Set your phone up. Give up your excuses. You have a commute to work. There's your window. Where's your window? Everybody say it with me. My window? Morning, noon, and night. I got to get up at 7 to be at work at my 9. Get up at 6. <gasps> 3,224 hours, brother. What are you going to do? Get up at 6. Get up earlier. Get, noon. Oh, but, you know, lunch is when I have my business meetings or when, when, I, when I do this and all that, whatever it is. How about three days a week you have lunch with Jesus? How about Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays you have lunch with Jesus? And you come and you just do worship and adoration and you hear, listen to what he's saying and what his heart is for you. You pray and you talk to the Lord and you have an honor with him. And you just be in his presence. What would that change? I guarantee you it would change the way you think. Get up early, have lunch with Jesus. How about meditate before going to sleep? So I can't, man. I got so much anxiety. The devil just won't let me sleep. The devil just won't let me sleep. I'm like, put your headphones on and turn on the, turn on the Bible and you'll knock out like a rock. You know, the devil keeping you up with anxiety just put in, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. You'd be like, huh? <laughs> right? And then just let it play into your subconscious when you're aloof. He'll knock you out. He's going to be like, well, I ain't going to resist. You know, this guy needs to go to sleep. Anyway, <laughs> remove the negative people, places, and things and take meaningful action. Amen? Say it with me. Change begins with choosing. Choose differently. Take meaningful action. Set your phone up. We're in a generation that has no excuse. We have no excuse. There's no excuse. I play the same music all the time because it's my loop. It's my jam. I got my jam. You guys got to get your jams, right? It's this music that I worship to that draws me there, that brings me where I know. I have, a, I have stuff that I, I listen to at home. I have stuff that I listen to every single Sunday before I come to church. My wife can probably tell you the four songs I listen to before I come to church. And every one of them is about the God of the impossible. Every one of them is about the love that God has for us, right? Overcoming love, power, because I want to be filled with love. If I'm going to bring his word, I want to be filled with love, right? That's another story. Amen. God loves you. We're going to bless you all. We've got a prayer team. Prayer team will be available if you need prayer for anything. And I am out of the loop, Shell. She said, stay in the loop, Pastor. Yeah, you know, right? I'm five minutes over. Five minutes. Uh-oh. Bad pastor. Bad pastor. <laughs> I have a clock, if I can tell you. <laughs> Let me bless you. But it was good. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus is for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Prayer team's available. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. Amen.